This is episode 18 of The Transport by Alex Ames. Sometimes I love being a ruthless cyborg. The Transport by Alex Ames You are listening to The Transport, a sci-fi military action thriller audiobook podcast, written and performed by Alex Ames. The music throughout the podcast is the song The Last True Boss by Komiku, available on the freemusicarchive.org. Chapter 60 Sina They transferred weapons and ammunition from Leo's car, boarded the school bus, and rode towards the industrial zone of the town. They parked the bus out of sight from the Legion Analytics headquarter and walked the last few hundred yards. In the far distance, occasional shooting could be heard from a variety of weapons. Looters, Leo offered. Sounds more like a serious gunfight, Morales said. A mile or two out, the wind carries it over. Look, this building has the same height as the Legion Analytics building. A good location for a command post, Morales pointed up another office building. The elderly night watchman, nervous because of the scary night without phone and walkie-talkie access, was persuaded to let them into the building and even provided them with access to the coffee maker. The group walked up to the roof. In the shadow behind a noisy air-conditioned ventilation unit, they had a perfect view of Legion's campus. The first order of business was to disconnect the power, and the only sound that remained of the machines were cooling clicks and occasional hisses from within the tubes. Are they planning a rock festival? Morales wondered. The metal scaffolding that they had seen earlier stretched from the building's glass atrium far into the parking lot that indeed looked like a stage with a steady incline. It's a ramp. If you extrapolate the gangway upwards and make it about 20 feet longer, you'll end up near the midsection of the object, Sina realized. I think we are all convinced that this is not your average night shift to prepare the company barbecue, Leo stated. Question is, do we act now or do we wait until further development? No one had an opinion either way. Not even our cyborg? Not enough input to make a feasible plan, Eva said, her right ear cocked towards the campus as if she was able to hear more than the others. Well, maybe she was. Right now, we have the element of surprise. They don't know we are here, how many we are, and what weapons we have. The second we show our hand, the more complicated it will be to reach any objective. So we wait, Charles decided, and glanced nervously at his watch and fidgeted with his fingernails. He's the boss, Sina thought, but not a happy one. Something is cooking, he's nervous about something, and he's not telling us. 
She exchanged glances with Mac and pointed her eyes towards Charles' nervous hand. Mac checked Charles out and just raised an eyebrow. They didn't have to wait long. The shooting in the distance subsided, replaced by a low humming noise that creeped into the nightly soundscape. Sina and Mac immediately identified it. The transport is coming, Mac whispered. Running at full speed, Sina added. Eva pointed into the dark distance. The white cover tarp, you can make out the top over the trees. A few seconds later, they all saw it. How is that possible, Charles wondered. I thought city streets are unable to fit your beautiful machine. Mac and Sina looked at each other. They made it fit. That's why it's running on full power, Mac realized. They simply run over things, Sina explained for the others. Run over as in, Charles looked doubtful. Run over whatever is in the way. Houses, infrastructure cars, people, Sina said. I thought your machine is as fickle as a young horse. Loading may shift, hydraulics may burst, roads crumble, what not, Charles recalled the initial briefing's arguments. When we plan our transport, we minimize the risk for load, unit and people, Mac explained. But if you are ruthless, you just plow on, stretch the parameters of the MMTU to its limits and don't care about the stability or material. Charles shook his head. Let's hope everyone got out of the way in time. That's the good news. The disaster approaches you in slow motion. Morales nodded. That's where the shooting came from. Angry neighbors pissed off that the porch and the car have been flattened, I bet. How big is your truck? Leo asked incredulously. Six axles? Twenty-four wheels? Uh, three hundred ten axles, three hundred ten wheels, Sina answered. They watched in silence as the white hump came closer and more and more details could be seen in the weak light. And indeed, the road for the transport paved itself. The Colossus simply ran over palm trees and parked cars and pushed trailer trucks to the side, eventually reaching the huge parking lot of the Legion campus. Mac winced with every creaking and breaking sound as it surely meant broken hydraulic lines, maladjusted controls and defect sensors. But it was on the home stretch now. Even if 20 MMTUs broke down, the transport couldn't fail anymore. The transport positioned itself slowly onto the parking lot, maneuvered parallel to the building, got slower and slower. Various people appeared in front of the atrium to witness the occasion. Anyone you recognize? Morales asked and handed over the field glasses to Leo. Leo adjusted the sight and stabilized his elbow on the air condition cooler. The guy in the middle with the white shirt is the CEO, Carling. The others I'm not sure about. Kimmick, Sina pointed at a silhouette standing beside the steering unit. The lieutenant demonstrated his importance, signaling to the driver with his arms to align transport and ramp. Herbert is in the elevated cabin in front, added Eva, just exiting. All right, all our theories so far confirmed, Charles growled. Plans, anyone? 
They want to board the spaceship as quickly as possible and fly home, isn't that obvious? Leo said and Eva nodded confirmation. What does that mean exactly, board the spaceship? Charles asked. Yeah, how do the logistics work? Sina asked. The pods are in the basement, the spaceship parks outside, someone has to move them. Correct, Eva said. The critical factor is the life support system for the pods. The pods can only be disconnected for a short period, 10-15 minutes, without the clones inside being injured. She shrugged. Whether they have some robotics or whether it's manual labor, I can't say, but it is unlikely that they will risk moving more than a few pods at once. I mean, look at the ramp. You'll have to carry them up there. How much is a pod? Mac, the loading master, asked. Fifty, sixty pounds. Morales nodded. That is brilliant information. That means that we are able to disrupt their operation. Any delay will put the pressure on the human's clone team to finish the transport into the ship of the pods in transit. And the longer we delay them, the higher the chances for reinforcements coming through into veracity, Charles confirmed. Morales turned to Charles. We'll need to probe their defenses first in order to see what tactics to use, and some eyes on the inside would be great. I would like to get inside too. The basement is narrow. Good fighting territory if you want to disrupt their logistics, Eva agreed. But you will have to build a stand first. Leo grunted. And here we go again, making a stand or committing suicide. Eva smiled. Sometimes I love being a ruthless cyborg. Chapter 61 Herbert The Sclones' control transport reached the Veracity city limits shortly after midnight. The police cruiser still dutifully blocked the road from the curious eyes. The deputy drove the car aside and joined the group of converts. Gorsuch and the loaders did a good job of adjusting the direction of the giant by almost 90 degrees to point towards their final destination. The last two miles lay ahead of them, the road towards Legion Analytics. A normal, suburban street with sidewalks and dusty desert front lawns. Family homes stood left and right, most of them in the dark, some lighted from inside, cars parked in front. There was no way to clear the path this time the city had to give. Messy, but no other way. Herbert woke to gunfire and the sounds of ricochets bouncing from his command post windows. What the hell? He glanced up from the floor. They were in the middle of a town street in Veracity, the MMTU's flanks grinding through front gardens, hitting and crushing smaller houses, flattening porches and running over parked cars. Inhabitants were fleeing from the homes, alerting neighbors, some bringing their cars into safety before the slow-motion behemoth ate or destroyed their belongings. The first rows of MMTUs had to take a gruesome beating, but held up admirably so far. Herbert glanced at the control panels that showed a lot of green, but also a lot of red. 
but the fact that they were still moving at three miles per hour was information enough. The shots came from various courageous and armed citizens who stood on their verandas, the juggernaut slowly moving towards their position. The veracity citizens were firing at everything and nothing, futility in action against the biggest land vehicle ever invented, with tires as thick as two inches and military-grade protection on every piece of equipment. Luckily for the converts, all the houses were made of wood, so the incredible power of the MMTU's hydraulic driving units had no issue to handle a few hundred tons of resistance. Convert Fenton monitored the load distribution and had sweat running over his face as he watched the various readouts of the shuddering, wavering, vibrating object in its cradle. The load was not meant for such a bumpy ride. The computers leveled everything out as best as they could, but the constant up and downs were putting a strain on every generator and every piece of hydraulics and mechanics. But the object held on tight. So far. Six convert guards had positioned themselves in all four corners of the MMTUs and in the two middle sections. With ease, they neutralized anyone fighting back the transport. Some looters, having found a new target, attempted to board the transport, what were shot ten yards from the MMTU with deadly accuracy. A police car stood in the side street, safely out of harm's way, blue and red lights flashing, its deputy staring at the sight, his jaw hanging watching the crunching and munching of tires against houses, trees, cars and trucks. The guards on the MMTU shot him. The transport finally left the residential part of town and now steered into Veracity's eastern industrial section. The structures left and right became much bigger and much more solid, but luckily they also stood much farther apart. No shots were fired, no major additional destruction took place, just lots of trees and lampposts, an occasional parked car or a hydrant. Two parked trucks with trailers made them turn into crawl mode until the incredible strength of the transport first pushed them ahead, then threw them over on their side and then slowly mangled them under the multiple wheels. They left a flat landscape behind them, the destroyed hydrants spraying whitish foam into the night. Now that the fighting citizens were behind them, Herbert dared to leave the control center and went to Gorsuch's driver cabin. The last hundred yards, man. We lost ten percent of our wheels running on the rims for three miles now, Gorsuch replied. That was a close call. Fuel is all right? Good for another six hours on hold. The units will be on low power because we don't move the wheels. All we need are the hydraulic stabilizers to keep the load in balance until we are ready to take off. You'll stay here to monitor things? Yeah, I might exchange with Fenton later for a break, Gorsuch said. Herbert nodded. Good work. I commend you to the Supreme Commander. You did well. Legion Analytics came up ahead of them. They reduced the speed to a crawl once more to do the necessary sideway movement to bring them as close as possible alongside the building and the newly erected loading ramp. Finally, shortly after one o'clock in the morning, the behemoth transport reached its destination. The oversized parking lot in front of Legion Analytics was almost fully occupied by the unit. The combined Legion staff on the MMTU and in front of the building cheered, 
Everyone fell into each other's arms. It was like a spirit on New Year's Eve, missing just the silver ball and the singing. Herbert unmounted the transport and walked over to Kimmick. Most MMTU units of the front section were severely damaged, some of them giving loud wheezing noises, leaking or spraying hydraulic fluids. We made it, Herbert. Good job, the young lieutenant greeted him. What a ride. That was the ultimate thrill. Those houses, the cars, all that noise. Someone clearly loved his mayhem. We're not through yet, Herbert muttered and walked past the man. Kimmick continued to talk up some other converts while Herbert checked the construction of the ramp and saw that everything had progressed as planned. Small mercies. After the hitches with the transport, Herbert had the feeling that loading wouldn't go smoothly either. He still felt beaten after the long two days with so many close calls and experienced his human host's tiredness, numbing his own senses. The fully lighted glass cube entrance of the Legion Analytics headquarter looked like a welcoming space station. The Supreme Commander in the form of Carling awaited him. The elders get nervous, he greeted Herbert without any fanfare or praise. They want to be put into their slots quickly. Herbert felt his blood pressure rising once more. Everyone wanted a pound of his flesh, it seemed. Let me guess. They want to board first, too, against the planned and agreed sequence? He knew he sounded snippy and impatient, but was beyond caring. Carling took a step back, a concerned look on his face. The elders are gracing this historical moment with importance and want to show it. They expect the deference they deserve, Herbert. Let's show it to them. Each Sclone's community had a group of elders that acted as spiritual and ethical counselors. The last 70 years, during this time of quarantine, it had been the voices and stories of the 20 elders that had kept up the good hopes of the potted community. They had done good work, even Her Herbert had to admit that. But he had been disconnected from the community feed for the last 20 years, so in retrospect the constant elder voice stream appeared to the human-coupled Herbert like brainwash. This means they will delay the takeoff preparations by at least an hour, Herbert gave back. What's an hour compared to 70 years in waiting? 70 years in hiding without anyone really looking for us? Herbert argued, though he saw the patient of his commander vanning. Now we have the humans on our trail, there is no going back for us. The humans are confused and no real threat right now. The police are busy doing crowd control, they need to protect their own citizens. The army group is just a small underpowered unit without fighters. They will wait it out. The blanket keeps us safe. They might drop an atomic bomb on us. They will understand soon enough that we robbed them of their most prized possession. And then killed thousands of innocents? The supreme commander shook his head. All our prediction models have negated this event. It only takes one person to command this. The president can order such a strike. You bet on the behavior of one irrational human to keep us... A stern face interrupted him. Enough, Herbert. Will not happen, I assure you. We are done here. The elders will go first as agreed. Lead the team to erect the remaining loading ramp. I'll inform the community. The supreme commander turned and made his way into the building. Herbert, 
looked after him, saw his eager and happy team marveling at the huge transport and the home-bringing device, still wrapped under the gigantic tarp. He had the nagging concern that the VIP treatment of the elders would come to bite them into the ass. Strictly his human host speaking. Chapter 62 Sina The army team brainstormed on the roof and constantly updated their insights while the tin can situation evolved 200 yards from their position. The ramp was completed and a canopy was erected that blocked their line of sight from building entrance to the side of the starship where they surmised the door had to be. Guards were moving into various positions. Two could be seen on the front side of the transport and moving heads were occasionally spotted on top of the Legion building. Safe to think that there were more guards everywhere. Too bad we have no night side equipment. We might understand what's going on, Charles complained. Infrared capability doesn't help either. The canopy is too thick, Eva stated. Leo whistled. Nito, my girl can see in the dark. X-ray too? Eva stayed quiet. They reassembled in one of the meeting rooms in the annexed office building where light couldn't be detected from the Legion HQ. Eva drew a sketch of the Legion campus and the internal layout onto the whiteboard, Leo adding here and there. All right, Morales said impatiently. Sixty minutes of observation and discussion, and we are still at the same level of knowledge. And for all we know, the Legion guys have already loaded the clone parts. I think it's safe to assume that they plan to be finished during darkness, Max said, before the city calms down again and starts adding things up. Morales, the always prepared Green Beret, glanced at her mechanical watch. Astronomical twilight at 4.20, nautical twilight at 5, sunrise at 5.55. Let's assume they plan to be ready to take off by 5 o'clock. With the outage and the riots, I doubt that anyone dares to go out tomorrow, Sina pointed out. Plans! Or I switch on my primitive Rambo brain and we go into full suicidal firefight mode, hero death and all. Morales did not smile. She meant every word. I'd like to get inside the building and wreak havoc, Eva said. Take a fair amount of firepower with us. When we are inside, we try to shoot up the lab where they store the life pods. Improvise. Morales' eyes gleamed. Shooting everything up, I like that. But the guards on the roof or on the transport will notice our approach, Mac threw in. The high ground gives them perfect control of the perimeter. Morales looked at Eva and Leo. You know the campus. What's the best way in without being seen? Leo chewed his lip. With someone looking out from the roof? Impossible to get in undetected. But you might be able to take a course that minimized the chances to be shot from above. He stepped up to the whiteboard and pointed to the square of the utility building behind the headquarter. 
The campus border is about 20 yards away from the utility building. From the rooftop, you can't look straight down without exposing yourself, so it gives us good cover once we reach the utility building's backside. 20 yards with the right amount of surprise is doable, Morales mused. Exactly. After you made it behind the utility building's cover, you break into it, move through and exit on the other side into the alley between the utility and main buildings. Maybe another 10 yards to cross, another quick dash, but a bad angle for the guards, they might not even notice you. We need a diversion to draw their attention to the front of the building. And we'll use the one-time element of surprise to move the eyes as far away from our entry corridor. Morales decided. That's costly, Eva said. You'll need four different diversions, one for each guy on the roof. Who's the best shot? Charles asked Lieutenant Morales. Whitaker, hands down. Cool under pressure, accurate, even with crappy material. Hey, our material is not crappy, Leo complained. Morales assigned tasks. Charles, You will stay where the action is and make sure that the diversion works. Have Whitaker pin down the roof guards. Give Eva and me time to cross the open space. We'll need three seconds max. I'm going where my girl goes, Leo said. And before you start arguing, this is neither up for discussion nor for decision. I am joining you guys. Morales rolled her eyes. Scratch three seconds. Whitaker needs to give us six. Hi, Alex Ames momentarily. If you like a good thriller, check out my 2020 novel COVID Trouble. COVID Trouble is a novel in my ongoing troubleshooter series, featuring the corporate troubleshooter Paul Trouble. COVID trouble takes place in Paris, France after the first lockdown of 2020, just when life seems to normalize again during the worldwide life-threatening pandemic. And France is getting ready for some well-earned summer vacations. Someone is poisoning supermarkets with the virus. Is it a lunatic? Is it a terrorist act? Paul Trouble will find out. A lot of bullets will fly, there are car chases, gunfights, rooms full of dead people, deadly fire traps and many, many, many ways to die. COVID Trouble is available as ebook at most online retailers and as paperback at Amazon and some other e-tailers. Check it out, it's a ride. It's inspired by the current events of that crazy, crazy year 2020. COVID Trouble is the name, Alex Ames, the author. That being said, buy the book. And now, let's jump back into the transport. Chapter 63 Herbert The object was freed from the white tarp covering and the black greatness punched a hole into the night that irritated the human eyes. In the near darkness there was no feature to hang on to. Herbert had to blink several times to adjust his sight as his eyes refused to focus. Wow, amazing, I've never seen it through eyes, 
Linny beside him said in awe, It's beautiful, like Gothic church or a Beethoven symphony. Herbert knew exactly what she meant. Humans may not be very far developed, neither in technology nor philosophy, but when it came to aesthetics, the species was top-notch, up there with the best. Function ruled most of the universe, but here on Earth you had a mix of art, design and function aligned into a pleasant whole. Interesting variety inside such a pitiful limited brain. Yeah, he just said. Various people of the attack team assembled around them, Smitty and Kimmick among them. Herbert remembered his responsibility and distributed the work. All right, you understand what comes next. Guards are in place. The scaffolding team continues to erect the last few yards to level with the loading hatch. Check the blinds on the sides of the ramp, otherwise we will be sitting ducks for any guy with a gun during loading. Everyone not assigned to something else yet help with the installation. Smitty, you get the engineer ready. Kimmick suddenly found himself alone and decided to check on the perimeter guards. Don't get shot by your own guys, Herbert muttered behind his back after Kimmick was out of earshot. The ramp builders could have used one more additional pair of hands, but Herbert had observed that Kimmick had taken over a lot of his human host's lieutenant status, arrogance and all. The final ramp setup proceeded quickly and 20 minutes later had reached the designated spot on the right side of the object. The Supreme Commander arrived after a few minutes. Let's open the ship. Herbert nodded. The engineer is ready. He turned to the small team assigned to the engineer. You all know the drill. Designated guards, please take your positions. From now on, we will be very exposed. With the ship's loading dock open, any bigger explosive weapon may cause damage to the features inside, resulting in difficult repairs and interruption of loading. The roof team is on the lookout too, but the more eyes we have on the surroundings, the better. Will we send a distress beacon after we boarded the first team? Smitty asked. We still have the blanket running, so no beacon signal is possible. We waited, risks and benefits. The answer is no. We keep the blanket up for the time of loading. No beacon for now, the Supreme Commander explained. He nodded at Smitty. Continue. The ramp led up to the side of the spaceship at an incline of about 30 degrees. An industrial carpet had been rolled out over the metal grills to give the pot migration team the necessary secure footing grip. Convert Jesse Albert, the most serious football player at Legion Analytics, with muscles to show, had the honor of carrying up the engineer's life pot, as he was the strongest of the converts. He pushed a stainless steel catering tray on wheels, which had the life pot strapped on top and a temporary small life support system on the lower tray. Jay walked behind them with a laptop and various cable connectors, followed by Herbert and the Supreme Commander. They looked like a congregation during a religious ceremony, everyone somber and serious, going through pre-designed motions. The final two yards of the ramp were leveled. Jay connected the laptop with the life pot and Jesse opened the top. He held it to the ship's hull and some of the milky life support fluid trickled over Jesse's hand. Herbert dried it off with a prepared towel. It was essential that Jesse kept a good grip on the pot. The laptop was needed to inform the Sklone engineer inside to start its task. 
Herbert gave the necessary initial instructions, and next, the Supreme Commander typed in the final authorization and added the code word, all safekeeping measures to keep the spaceship locked up. This clone inside the pod came to life. Three of the four tentacles disconnected from the communication sensors and slid out of the opening. They touched and probed the ship's black surface. A human eye or touch could neither determine the location of the loading hatch nor activate its opening, but a clone could detect the minimal electrical surface current. Herbert stared at the computer that communicated with the engineer and relayed the engineer's commands. More to the left, more left, higher, got it. The tentacles remained at the spots for a while, the ship's security mechanisms communicating with its requester. Finally, the tentacles moved away from the ship's surface and slid back into the life pod. The small congregation stepped back as the ship's door opened towards the outside. Everybody understood that it would take some minutes to happen. The ship had been woken from a deep sleep, going through a billion of checks like complex computer booting up. But the wait was excruciating for everyone. Any second, the Supreme Commander commented, unnecessarily. The human condition made them nervous in anticipation, like kids before the Christmas morning alarm. There, Linny called out. Due to the featureless surface and the nighttime, it was hard to see the difference at once. But then a square opening appeared, garage door sized, and slowly moved downwards, like a truck loading ramp. They've made it. Herbert felt dead tired, and there was still a lot of work ahead of them. But they got this far. Almost 70 years after their crash and their panicked evacuation, they had their ticket home right in front of them. Open, ready to board. Not all the worries and efforts fell off him, but the spark of hope that the other clones displayed enthusiastically now slowly grew inside Herbert too. Herbert? The Supreme Commander said, and from the tone of his voice, Herbert noticed the commander had asked once before. Oops, he blocked the path of his leader. Herbert stepped aside respectfully. Supreme Commander. The commander nodded gravely and took the step upwards onto the loading hatch. Herbert followed him. We shouldn't linger here out in the open. Let's get inside, Herbert guided the Supreme Commander inside away from an exposed position. Who could predict what the surviving army group was up to, or the sheriff's department? The engineering pod was carried in right after them. Elders or not, the engineer had to be connected first in all cases to continue the non-automated checks. The inside of the ship matched the outside temperature. Where the outside of the ship was featureless, the inside was functional. The loading area held various space travel-proof containers, a variety of equipment that might be of use in any type of planet, in or out of space. Single and multi-purpose cyborgs in various forms and sizes, boxed expedition gear and a multitude of defense devices, all stored in vibrationless, tight-fitting settings. One container slot was open, the designated location of the blanket, the only weapon they had been able to take with them in the few confusing minutes after the crash. In hindsight, a brilliant collective decision that had paid off in the long term. Well, just as we left it, Herbert mused aloud and looked around. 
He clipped a battery-driven LED light on a robot arm that hung underneath the ceiling. Sclones and their cyborg aides did not rely on light to work, but of course the human hosts that loaded ship now did. The Supreme Commander seemed to be sunk in some sort of reverie, as if in prayer. Herbert ignored him and got on with his tasks. He walked through various rooms and corridors, fastening the lights, bringing the needed illuminations to the official life pod storage locations and the control center. The build-up of hyperlight travel bore an extreme strain on the equipment, therefore any physical object needed to fit to a hundred percent into its designated place. With the tolerance of one atom, no rattling toolbox or gas inside the life pad during the crucial murah phase of the pre-light speed, please. Everything all right, sir? Herbert asked when he came back to the loading dock. The Supreme Commander still stood rooted at his original spot, looking at the LED light where some insects were dancing. Look, Herbert, already alien life forms have boarded for a ride into space. If only they were all that harmless, the opposite of the humans. Herbert thought that his commander overdid his philosophical bid. They were under a tight deadline and their survival relied on the next hours. A few insects did not matter. They will be removed during launch prep by the gas exchange, don't worry, Herbert said. I will see to the remaining scaffolding first, then be back for your reconversion. A spaceship without a commander was no ship. The engineer had only checkup abilities. Any active function had to be pre-authorized by a commander. The elders go first, mind you, the supreme commander reminded Herbert, who felt his blood pressure rising again. This is it for this week's edition of The Transport, the sci-fi action thriller written and performed by Alex Ames. If you liked what you just heard, leave a comment in whatever platform you downloaded or listened to the podcast. If there are stars, star me, help me spread the good. And again, my shameless self-promoting plug, if you liked it so far and can't bear the suspense, buy the book. If you can bear the suspense, buy the book. And that's it, for real. Wherever you are, whoever you are, thank you, take care, I hear you next time. This is Alex Ames, this was The Transport, over and out.